Thank you for tuning in to The Way Podcast, a work of Scattered Abroad which is overseen by the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee. You can find our website at scatteredabroad.org. In this podcast, we seek to showcase the way that God wants us to live by looking at what is written in His Word. The Bible says God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. This is That Way. Here is your host, Houston Welch. Welcome back to The Way Podcast. I'm your host, Houston Welch, and I'm here with my good brother and God's servant, Andy Irwin. Andy, won't you introduce yourself to us? All right, Houston. I'm happy to be here with you and have this opportunity. I'm proud for you and the work that you're doing. Uh, I'm Andy Irwin. I preach for the West Fayetteville Church of Christ in Fayetteville, Tennessee. I edit the Gospel Gleaner and teach for the Nashville School of Preaching and the Middle Tennessee School of Preaching, as well as Bear Valley Bible Institute's uh, graduate program. All right. Today, we're going to be discussing the restoration. And some of you may not even know what the restoration is, what we're talking about when we mention the restoration. Um, Andy, could you, before we really get into it, explain what the, the restoration is, what the restoration movement was? Sure. Yeah, the... Well, the restoration movement and the restoration plea is the uh, hope and the desire to come out of uh, denominationalism, man-made religion, and return to the Bible and to take the Bible as our uh, sole rule of faith and practice and uh, learn what the Bible says. And as we learn it, as we see... uh, the, the things specified by God for the church to be doing, then strive to do those things. And so that would uh, free us really from uh, the shackles and the, and the burden of denominationalism. It would call us to uh, a more simplistic approach to the Christian faith. We would not uh, be bound by any creed or catechism or the decisions of any church council or any such as that, just to, to speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent. That's that's really the gist of the restoration. Yeah, the the restoration uh, the restoration movement it started back in the eighteen hundreds and uh, some one misconception before we further that one misconception about the restoration movement is. It's not to restore the New Testament church because you can't restore the church of the New Testament. The church of the New Testament was established when, uh, on the day of Pentecost, and it has been uh, all throughout time. It, it's not anything that needs to be restored. However, New Testament Christianity uh, in, in the modern age certainly has needed to be restored. It, it, it was lost throughout, um, throughout the years as man wanted to put... Um, wanted to put his own will into God's word, into God's will, and New Testament Christianity got lost. And so during the the early 1800s, there was a group of of individuals, and one thing that that was repeated to me by an individual who taught me a few things regarding restoration history was that none of it happened in a vacuum. When I say a group of individuals, I'm not talking about uh, a group of men who were sitting in, in a basement and they just had this idea, but rather there were, there were men uh, throughout really uh, the, the known world at that time, particularly in, particularly in, in Europe and, and in North America, who 
were recognizing that some of the things which they were doing were not in accordance with God's word. And so they recognized that, that they were not practicing New Testament Christianity and they wanted to. And so they studied God's word and these individuals eventually, perhaps by the providence of God, uh, found one another and they made the plea that, that Andy uh, had just mentioned. So now, when, when did the church begin, Andy? Well, the Lord's church began in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, the preaching of the first gospel sermon. As Jesus said, repentance and remission of sins would be preached in his name to all nations, beginning Jerusalem. And, of course, uh, the kingdom would come with power, uh, Mark 9 and verse 1, and the power would come through the Holy Spirit, Acts 1 and verse 8. And, and then, of course, uh, the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. And... Uh, the restoration uh, movement itself um, isn't something solely uh, limited to North America. It's something that uh, you have roots of it in in uh, Scotland and England and Central Europe as well. Um, there have been attempts to uh, trace New Testament Christianity uh, through the years. Of course, we don't necessarily even have to do that as long as you have the Bible in seed form, of course, you have the church. Um, you mentioned providence earlier. I, I think that providence is uh, indeed behind the restoration movement. You take, for example, all of the things that went into play for centuries. Man didn't have the Bible in his hand. Um, it was a very expensive book to have. Uh, copies were handwritten. It was something where basically you had to be a, a priest. You had to be some form of laity, either in the Roman Catholic Church or the Greek Orthodox Church. Um, you had to be able to read Latin or you had to be able to read Greek. And you have then some efforts, John Wycliffe being one in the 14th century, William Tyndall being another in the 16th century, you have efforts of men to translate the Bible into English. Of course, 16th century, you had Martin Luther that uh, translated the New Testament into uh, German. But it's an interesting thing. Uh, uh, the Catholics didn't want the Bible translated into English. They wanted it kept in the Latin and did not want it in the common or the vulgar tongue. But uh, you had these men who rose above that and then Wycliffe, his his remains, they were exhumed, burned, and then thrown into a river uh, as a heretic. Tyndall was fastened to a stake, and he was strangled, and then he was burned. Last words he said was, Lord, I pray that you open the eyes of the king of England. And it wasn't a generation after that that you began to have uh, the king of England uh, authorize versions and culminating ultimately in 1611 with the King James Version. So just look at it. You, you have now the Bible in English, and it's authorized by the king, so you have no fear of the state stopping you from studying the Bible. But now you have the hindrance of denominationalism. You have the authorized Church of England, the Anglican Church, which also the, called the Episcopal Church, so they didn't have the freedom necessarily uh, to study the Bible um, as, as they wanted. But then you come to America, 
and you have this nation established, 1776, and it's not 20, 30 years after that that men with the freedom uh, to study the Bible for themselves and then with the Bible, of course, in their own language. And what do you have but this call, this movement to restore New Testament Christianity? It's an amazing thing the way that the providence God worked all of that out. And, uh, and we are recipients, I think, of that providence to be able to have the Bible in our language and the freedom uh, to be able to study it for ourselves and conclude uh, what we believe to be uh, correct interpretation of Scripture and, and to apply it. Yeah. You had you had mentioned before that we that we don't have to as long as we have the 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 word of God and we have the seed form of the church which is, which is written therein uh, that we don't have to to trace the original body of Christ the original churches of Christ throughout um, history but I do I do find it interesting so a lot another misconception about the restoration movement is that it, when people have a little bit of knowledge of what it is. They tend to think, well, then the churches of Christ or the Church of Christ started in in the 1800s in the United States. Um, but something interesting, and I, and I cannot remember where I found it, though I found it on, in multiple places. And I was trying—I don't have the book, <clears throat> but I believe it was written by Wesley Simons, and you may have that mm -hmm. book. I believe it was over church history, and. He he had mentioned that there was there was a church of Christ, which was in the United States. It was a building, not not the actual church itself, which dated back before the 1800s. Which I believe it might have been in in the 1770s or 1790s, and and I thought that was interesting. Mm -hmm. You you do you have you have a couple of examples. You've got examples in see in New England. You had. Uh... Abner Jones and Elias Smith were both Baptist uh, preachers. They were coming out of denominationalism, wanted to take the name Church of Christ. Uh, James O'Kelly was a Methodist in the Carolinas and Virginia. Uh, there was a man by the name of Rice Haggard who uh, said, hey, we, we just need to be Christians and Christians only. But what you see, Houston, you have Elias Smith and Abner Jones, Baptist, James O'Kelly, Methodist. Um, you have... Uh, Barton W. Stone and Thomas and Alexander Campbell were Presbyterians. Uh, you have all of these different backgrounds, and the one thing they have in common is, hey, we, we've got you know, the freedom now to go back to the Bible and, and see what this, what this book is all about. And um, Now, there have been, uh, listen, there were churches of Christ and uh, congregations who referred to themselves as Church of Christ, in Scotland in the 17th century, you know, back about 1680, 1689, mm -hmm. they found uh, there's, uh, you know, so places, uh, as I say, in Central Europe and other places as well. So it's not something that you would say, you know, just began in America. Uh, the thought was, uh, you know, well, most of brethren even considered themselves, when they refer to the church, they would say Church of Christ or they would even say Christian Church. I, preached for the Green Plain Church of Christ in Hazel, Kentucky. It began in 1855, and the deed of that congregation is uh, the Green Plains, plural, uh, Christian Church. Now, they dropped the plural, and they changed the name from Christian Church to Church of Christ. But way back when, there really wasn't that uh, 
strong distinction between the two as there is now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, uh, a lot of this has to do, too, with uh, uh, government census. And, okay, your 1906 census comes along, and, well, they're two different groups, and they're not both, they're both certainly not the same, and they're not in fellowship. Well, what do we call the one group? What do we call the other? And one group being known as uh, uh, Christian church, or even would call themselves even disciples. And then uh, we would call ourselves church or churches of Christ. Um, but you think about it, uh, people who are denominational, they look at that and they say, oh, well, that's a church of Christ preacher, or that's church of Christ mm -hmm. doctrine. Or they'll point to the building and say, that's a church of Christ there. And, you know, uh, these are bad habits from denominational uh, tendencies. Um, and, you, and you also see those roll over into, into the members of the church. Yeah, and, and, right. and one thing, I wanted, I wanted to, to close with this, but I yeah. want to go ahead and mention it since what, the, the deal with the restoration is that it was never, they, the men behind it never intended to create another denomination. Mm -hmm. Though denominations have sparked from it, and and other and other cults and sects have, have have sparked from it or spawned from it, the there was that was never the intention, and it certainly is not the the intention to today. When we mention the Church of Christ or churches of Christ, we're not talking about another denomination. We're not talking about the building. We're not, but we're talking about <clears throat> the church outside of denominations. We're talking about. Let's exclude the thought of denominations altogether and just go to what the Bible says. Go to the church which we read about in the New Testament or we read about in the Bible. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's, it's uh, undenominational, pre-denominational mm -hmm. Christianity really is, is what we're talking about. Let's just, you know, think of it like this. Wouldn't it be great, uh, Houston, here in, in Fayetteville, if instead of driving down the street and you see all of the Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, whatever have you, if you could just have one building that, and the name on the sign said, Christians meet here, mm -hmm. you see, Christians meet here. That, that's the way it was in the New Testament, you see. There wasn't, you know, Methodist, Baptist, it was just, they were Christians. They were members of the Lord's church, and that's what we strive to get back to. Yeah, I'll give you an example. Say you and I, say we're both in, I don't know, whatever denomination, choose one. And let's say we're shipwrecked on an island. And we say, well, we've, you and me and, I don't know, maybe 10 others. And we've got our Bibles. We say, well, what, we want to worship. What kind of church are we going to have? And what if we just said, well, let's just go back to the Bible. And let's see what kind of church was in the Bible. And let's do what they did in the Bible. And let's not call ourselves anything but what we find in the Bible. And worship the way they did and become members as they became members. What would you have on that desert island but a church of Christ, you see? Mm -hmm. You'd have a church of the New Testament. And that's, you see, that's what yeah. we strive to have. And, and one of the beauties about that church is that it can exist on a, on on a desert, a desert island. island. That's exactly. right. Exactly. When Jesus, in John chapter 4, when he was speaking to the woman, uh, the, the Samaritan woman there at the well, and they, uh, it, was, it was Jacob's well, and she was um, offended with the Jews because they believed that you could only worship in, in Jerusalem, which was true, and Jesus confirmed that. But Jesus also told her that uh, the hour is coming in which uh, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father, but 
you will worship him in, in spirit and in truth. And so you don't have to have any particular area. You don't have to have any particular thing in order to worship God. You just have the right, have to have the right heart and the yeah. truth. Yeah, you have to have that seed. And if that seed is sown into an honest and good heart, uh, then it will uh, bring forth fruit. Yeah. Now, now Andy, we, we've got a few minutes um, left, and there was a couple more things that I wanted to mention with you. Uh, what are we mentioned? You mentioned some notable figures mm-hmm. of the Restoration Movement. Mm-hmm. What are some more, or maybe reference back to those notable figures which mm-hmm. you mentioned? Well, you 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 do. You have, uh, of course, what you understand too. Some of these men didn't go all the way back like the like they should again just stick with that you know the desert island uh illustration if you and i are are there and 10 others well are we going to go all the way back to it for instance james o'kelly uh never abandoned sprinkling he was never immersed um uh you have abner jones and elias smith they never really completely abandoned uh what it was that uh that they were involved in. In fact, they kind of uh, went a different direction. Uh, Thomas Campbell, Alexander Campbell, they were father and son. That Thomas Campbell was a Presbyterian preacher. Alexander as well. They went into uh, Baptist uh, doctrine and theology, actually, on their way toward New Testament Christianity. Um, Alexander did such a capable job in defending baptism as immersion that the Baptists just mm-hmm. lapped him up. They they thought they found a champion. He defended it in debate and uh, against uh, sprinkling infant baptism, and so they they felt they had a champion there in Alexander. Walter Scott was a friend of mm-hmm. Alexander Campbell's. He was a great evangelist. Um, there was a Presbyterian in the northern area of Kentucky, in the Cane Ridge area of Kentucky. His name is Barton W. Stone. Um, so you have, you know, and you, you can only might look at it from state to state almost. Uh, of course, back then Virginia was included West Virginia as well. And so you had some great preachers in that area. You had great preachers in Ohio. There was a preacher by the name of Benjamin Franklin, not the president, but, uh, he was an editor of a paper called the American Christian Review, uh, very solid here in the state of Tennessee, Talbert Fanning. And then Talbert Fanning would uh, teach men like David Lipscomb. And uh, David Lipscomb and James A. Harding would uh, establish a school in Nashville and would teach a great many number of gospel preachers. And uh, Talbert Fanning was the first editor of the paper, The Gospel Advocate, which is the longest-running paper in our brotherhood. It began in 1855. So uh, that's kind of what you have. You have uh, some very fine and capable men in Indiana and Kentucky and Missouri, Illinois. But the sad thing, what happened with uh, the split with Christian church going one direction, Church of Christ going another, we lost a lot of the congregations north of the Ohio River and even in in the northern part of Kentucky. And a lot of that has to do with a controversy that developed over a missionary society, the American Christian Missionary Society, some of the things that were proposed, instrumental music and worship was also another divisive issue, but one of the things that was uh, proposed by the Missionary Society was for uh, brethren in the North to censure brethren in the South uh, because of the slavery and the Civil War and that sort of thing. And so, of course, that didn't go over very well and uh, led to division, but 
Now, if you go north of the Ohio River in many places, it's very much a mission field, where once it was a very strong area for New Testament Christianity. And uh, it just goes to show that, uh, you know, I mean, even here now, we say, oh, this is a strong area. This is the Bible Belt. But if we don't hold fast and if we don't teach the next generation, what will become of us? What will become of this area? So there are a lot of lessons to be learned in church yeah, history. Yeah. And you, you mentioned you mentioned the um, the the missionary society, mm-hmm. and that just goes to show. And that that was backed by Alexander Campbell. He was the first president of it. Yeah, eighteen forty nine. Yeah, and and that just goes to show that that even these men, even though they they were looking to the Bible and they were wanting to to know. Uh, they were wanting to follow God's word and and keep God's word uh, and do the best that they could in regards to that. Even they they were not without fault. <clears throat> Alexander Campbell he also had a couple of other uh, beliefs which um, which if if you study your Bible uh, thoroughly that that you would find were not accurate. Um, also another one which Andy did not mention was was James W uh, or James. Yeah. Uh, John Mag- William McGarvey. Yeah, yeah. yes, John McGarvey. Excuse me, J.W. McGarvey. Mm-hmm. And um, he actually, he faltered on the instrumental music stance, though later in his life, he, I do believe that he um, at least regretted that and maybe perhaps repented of it. And uh, he, he had extended fellowship uh, to individuals who, who wanted to worship with, with instrumental music. Brother McGarvey looked, looked at it as a uh, and brother Lipscomb and some others of that era did as well they looked at it as a sign of spiritual immaturity to worship with the instrument mm-hmm. they did not necessarily look at it as a test of fellowship you see and uh, McGarvey did lament later in life that uh, he said none of the men that uh, that he trained uh, were holding fa- oh. fast to the old paths okay. pitiful you know and all the good work that he did at the College of the Bible, and you, but for him to lament it later in life to say I made a mistake, and uh, you know McGarvey had there were just weird things like a, uh, you know he he would say well if you have an organ in a children's Bible class a little piano or something that's okay but not to have it in the worship right, and there were inconsistencies like mm-hmm. that. Uh, but you bring up a good point, Houston, because what you what you see is these are all. These are good men for the most part, but they're still men. Mm-hmm. The best men are men at best. That's all we're ever going to be. We're just going to be men who are uh, frail and and we do err in judgment and we make mistakes and we don't always have things maybe hammered out consistently as we should. Um, I think what you find in the restoration movement is kind of uh, putting first things first. Like they were really uh, concerned about the organization of the church, baptism for the mm-hmm. remission of sins, New Testament worship, things of that nature. And some things like, uh, well, let's say uh, issues maybe on the Holy Spirit, um, on matters of the last things. Um, really, truly, it's kind of ironic, but the last things were kind of put off to last. Um, that really didn't begin to get hammered out and ironed out through the process of debate and discourse in Brotherhood journals, incidentally, uh, and among preachers that uh, probably till the 1920s, I'd say. And and it's still being hammered out yes. even today, yeah. Yeah. you know. Um, 
a lot of things that crop up in that in regard to that discussion even today that we're dealing with. So, uh, you know, those are those are some of the things where, you know, it, I've heard it explained like this. Like, say you've been in a dark, dark room, you know, maybe sleeping or something, and somebody comes in and turns the light on. Well, you can't, your eyes don't adjust instantly, do they? Yes. It takes yeah. takes yeah. a minute. So that's a pretty good illustration. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I think that's similar to what happened, really do. Yeah, yeah. And the, be- the best thing that anybody could do, if, they're just, if you're wanting to, to follow God's Word, and you're wanting to do His will, go to His will. Go to the book. Go to what God has said. Go to what is written. And um, we do appreciate you. We, we could we could talk more about the, the the topic of restoration, but we appreciate you listening to us. If you, if you stayed with us to the end, uh, Brother Andy, he's going to be back with us, Lord willing, uh, March 25th, and we're going to be discussing uh, mentorship. Uh, if you if you've stuck with us. Uh, please rate and review the podcast. And also, if you're listening to us through through Facebook, be sure to like and share. And go check out the Scattered Abroad Network page and be sure to like and share it. We appreciate you and have a good day. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Scattered Abroad Network. If you would like to email us, you can do so at thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. That's thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. Remember, you can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms, and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has helped you grow closer to Christ, even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.